0: And I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Christ is risen. Alleluia, alleluia. Here we are uh, in the midst of the octave of Easter. Tomorrow's the eighth day of Easter, and we celebrate the Feast of Divine Mercy. And as we do that, uh, we want to take some time today to focus in on prayer. Uh, our, our good friend, Bo Bonner, who we've had on the show a number of times, wrote a piece on Ethica Politica asking, are we bad at prayer? And so here we are. Uh, as we look at the Divine Mercy Feast, this is the feast that we recognize that through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have been given access, Right. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, we see that the veil is torn and the Holy of Holies is open to us now. So we can approach the throne of grace with confidence to obtain mercy in our hour of need. So today we want to talk about what it looks like for us to approach with confidence the throne of grace. Now, that phrase from Paul intones that there is actually something that we have to do to receive that grace, all that's necessary for our salvation, all that's necessary for us to, uh, to receive the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God has, has already been done, right? The, the sacrifice has been made on the cross. That's uh, what we're celebrating here at Easter. We're celebrating Christ's triumph over death, and not merely his triumph over his death, but his triumph over death writ large, over all death, over my death and your death, and so we celebrate the fact that Christ has has died and resurrected for our sake. But in that, that grace that has been provided, we still have to approach with confidence the throne of grace in order to obtain that mercy in our hour of need. And we get a little bit overwhelmed by that, but the saints give us encouragement. They tell us that, you know, we, we make a big deal out of prayer uh, and we should because prayer is the way by which we interact and commune with God. One of the, one of the primary ways that we do that, uh, we should make a big deal about it, but we shouldn't be intimidated by it. Uh, St. Louis de Montfort said, Pray with great confidence, with confidence based upon the goodness and infinite generosity of God and upon the promises of Jesus Christ. God is a spring of living water which flows unceasingly into the hearts of those who pray. St. Alphonsus Liguori has this beautiful short little uh, treatise called How to Converse Continually and Familiarly with God. And in that he says, Praying always means that without neglecting your ordinary occupations, you treat God as you treat the friends who love you and whom you love. God is ever near you, even within you. In him we live and move and have our being, as it says in the book of Acts. He who would speak to God has no door to open. God is pleased when you speak to him without reserve. Tell him of your business, your plans, your griefs, your fears of all that concerns you. Above all, do so, as I've already said, with confidence and entire freedom, for God does not want to speak to the soul that does not speak to him. In fact, being unaccustomed to speak to God, the soul would scarcely understand him when he spoke. And this is something we've, we've talked about on the show before, that prayer is more than just us expressing uh, our, our desires and our thoughts to God. It is a conversation with God. We have to uh, accustom ourselves to hear his voice in the midst of those prayers, to quiet our hearts enough that God has space to speak back to us. And this is where our prayers become effective. It's not in how well we can express ourselves. It's not in the language that we use as we tell God of our needs or the needs of those who are around us. It's in our ability to hear the will and the voice of God echoing back to us in the midst of that prayerful conversation. It's in the discernment and the receiving from God that makes, I think, our prayers fruitful. Uh, Perhaps what we hear is more clarity in things to pray for. As we pray generically, as we hear the voice of God, that can lead us into very specific prayers for a situation, for a person, for ourselves. It could lead us to specific action. Maybe God asks us to go and interject in someone's life or invest in someone's life in a very specific way or moves us to a certain action to bring about an answer to someone else's prayer. In the book of James, we see the assertion that the prayer of the righteous person is powerful in its effects. And I think the reason for this is not because that righteous person is somehow better than the rest of us or that they somehow have learned the right words or formulas to pray, but the righteous person is in a relationship with God their prayer life spans uh, really this whole idea of the continually and familiarly with God. They, they speak to God on a regular basis. And so for, for them, God is not just the person that they go to as a last resort, uh, nor is God just like this cosmic Santa Claus that all they have to do is pray the right prayer and everything comes out just hunky-dory. No, they have a deep relationship and they understand uh, the voice of the Holy Spirit. They can point out, they can recognize when God is speaking, and, and when God speaks to them, the righteous person, they act. They recognize God saying go, and they go, right? They recognize God moving them in a certain way, and they obey. This, I think, is what so many of us lack in our prayer lives, is the willingness to do, just like Mary, the willingness to do whatever it is that the Holy Spirit asks of us, Let it be done to me according to your word. And you have to know that this wasn't the first time that Mary had surrendered herself in prayer. This wasn't the first time that she had encountered God. Now, it was probably the first time that she saw an angel face-to-face, but it wasn't the first time that she had been uh, devoted to God in prayer. And we have to do the same thing. If we expect our prayers to, to be effective, we have to approach God over and over again. So that when that big question comes, we can give our fiat to the will of God. We're going to be talking today with Bo Bonner about his piece, Are We Bad at Prayer, over on EthicaPolitica.com. We'll put a link to that over on our social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Come over and share in the conversation. Talk about an experience that you've had with prayer that... Perhaps you saw something just miraculous happen as a result of your or someone else's prayers. I want to hear about it? There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and here we are still in the octave of Easter. Alleluia, alleluia. We're celebrating uh, the the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and all that that entails, which uh, primarily is our salvation and reconciliation to God the Father. Uh, today, We're going to talk again with our our good friend, Bo Bonner. He's the director of the Zita Institute, director of mission and ministry at Mercy College. And if that's not enough, also the co-host of The Uncommon Good, heard right here on Iowa Catholic Radio and Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you for asking me back. I, you know, every time I talk to someone, I'm, I'm Oklahoman enough to be like, well, that's the last time they'll invite me back. So, you know, yeah, but you see, keep asking f- me back, it's, it's very nice of you.
0: We're primarily in Oklahoma, so it fits just really well. You're right at home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: So we had you on very recently, and normally I don't ask a guest to come back quite so fast, but you had this little piece uh, that I saw on Facebook. Uh, apparently I saw it like three weeks late because someone was commenting on it, and you had turned it into a larger post which is available over at ethicapolitica.org, talking about how poor we are in our understanding of prayer. Uh, Of course, the the title's a little bit more uh, edgy than that, but that's as far as I'm going to take it. Hip and cool. (laughs) It's so hip and cool. But but the concept there is um, this idea that people recoil when a tragedy happens and someone says, I'm offering you, I'm praying for you. Or we send our thoughts and prayers, which is often the uh, the reply uh, that comes from uh, official channels. And right. there's a, a, a huge backlash against that where people are like, hey, I want more than your prayers. I want action. Don't give me your thoughts and your prayers. Uh, and, and yet that shows, I think, and, and reveals a fundamental misunderstanding of what prayer is for the people who are saying, don't give me your thoughts and prayers. And at the same time, I think that their reaction maybe shows that we have not been giving an accurate representation of what prayers are. So kind of bring us through the process of what brought you to write this article and just start talking to us about why is it that we are so bad at prayer? Yeah.
1: Unfortunately, the, the situation that made me think to write the article Uh, is that we have so many horrible events that we're finding out through the news that this has become, um, what you speak of has almost become this horrible exercise or or, or dance that occurs on social media every time. And uh, and even I think about this, right, that, you know, why are we talking about this in the joyous Feast of Easter? Well, the problem starts to be, right, that even when we have something like the joyous Feast of Easter, We have the horrible news coming out of Sri Lanka with the the bombings. Um, And and what happens is people, uh, they find out about these horrible things on social media and they don't know what to do. So I think out of the goodness of their heart, they try to say something thoughts and prayers, whatever it might be. And then people castigate them for not trying to be action oriented. And half the time this then gets into like sort of political feuds and it all to be quite frank was just annoying me. And, all sides were just getting on my last nerve. And I was asking myself, what is it that causes all this confusion? And I realized that the shared common problem everybody had was to drastically misunderstand what we mean when we talk about prayer. And this is for people who are pro or con thoughts and prayers. The very idea that we put thoughts and prayers together, I, you know, I think what people usually mean is, well, if you're not the praying type, maybe I give you positive thoughts. But the fact that we think they go together well showed, it seems to me, that we misunderstand fundamentally what prayer is and even what it's about. Prayer before anything else is an action. And I try to point this out in multiple ways. It's not only that prayer is an action, that when you look at the entire scripture, right, when people pray, it's 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 obviously an activity, right? If it was just thinking Christ wouldn't be sweating in Gethsemane and it drops of blood, prayer take something out of us because it's an activity it is uh dynamic uh it it, it's a sacrifice it's all these words that thoughts and prayers don't really get at and too often i think that's what people think right um when you hear thoughts and prayers they imagine like a, a southern gentleman sipping mint juleps like on a on a on a porch and you know just kind of having the the right sort of feelings or sentiments towards people um, but that's not what Christ says. Christ says there are certain things so, so difficult that the only way that they can be overcome is fasting and prayer. Nearly every word that Christ uses with prayer is an activity, right? Mm-hmm. It's very uh, kinetic and not just simply um, an idea of passively or leisurely taking time to imagine what's going on in someone's life.
0: When I think of the the term thoughts and prayers, I I have this picture of uh, a greeting card with an a cat with oversized eyes, <laughs> looking very sentimentally straight at the camera with a, with a title "Thinking of You."
1: Right. That's right.
0: It's this. I have this. I have this emotional connection that I want to I want to send out to you and 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 somehow wrap this affection or concern. Kind of around the little tendrils of your heart, and and so that you know you're not alone. I'm I'm thinking of you.
1: Well, and <laughs> I'm still thinking about that cat. You've described yeah, it so well. You're and, welcome. And that cat probably that the cat's probably owned by that southern gentleman I was bringing up. Um, what I I think starts to happen is, of course, there is mental prayer and there's contemplation. So I don't want to like make it sound like I wrote an article to bash those two things. Two things that I'm very concerned with and think also severely lacking in a lot of people's interior life um but contemplation remember is even described by people as far ranging as aristotle to you know medieval scholastics as the highest activity that someone can do and when we mean mental prayer we don't mean again thinking it's this idea it's more like interior prayer is another way to say this but at the root of all things we look at what the word even means and in english to pray um you know, thinking about it like Shakespearean actually helps us out, right? Right. You know, I pray, I pray thee do this or that, which is to say, I compel you, I implore you, I beg you, I ask you. All of those are activities. None of those are sheer sort of mental or emotional affectations. But that's what people miss out is that prayer, um, it, it has, it comes at a cost. It It's like any activity, right? If, if you go, walk uh to to the bank if you go running if you play uh you know hopscotch with your children the cost is a physical energy right well any activity is has some sort of cost and prayer that's what it starts to be is the cost of prayer is not only the time we spend or even sort of the energy we put into thinking about it Um, we are imploring and, and making some aspect of sacrifice uh, to the one we believe that can change things, right. and so that's why when there's tragedy, people people know they're supposed to pray, but but we we're so unaccustomed to what that might look like that it starts to take on a completely passive air. Yeah. And so I see that people are trying to reach at like the root of they have the right impulse, they don't know how to describe it, and then people sort of so to speak. Um, Hone in on that, even unfairly or not, like you were saying. But some people quite fairly hone in on that difficulty of understanding.
0: We're talking today with Bo Bonner, and as you're mentioning this, I think there's a couple of different roots to that. But one, I think of the idea of the, the the morphing of the word to intend or an intention, right? Now, now we can say, oh, I intended to do that, but it didn't happen, right? oh, I meant to do that, I intended to do that, and, and I just didn't get around to it. And so right. we think of an intention almost in a, uh, a negative sense or, or to say, oh, well, I intend to do that as in sometime in the future, I'll get to that. Whereas for the, the scholastics, intention was the kind of the trigger pin that moved everything else forward. It was the act of the will that, that put things into motion, that intention. Uh, and so even as we think about prayer, involving the will, I don't think we have a full, complete understanding of what the will entails anymore.
1: Well, I think, and thank you for bringing that up, because that's another point that I tried to really hit home, and um, you are exactly right. We have a a paucity of of speaking about that, that prayer is not a mental activity first, but one of the will, and that when we talk about something being um, really a matter of the will, we even start to either mentalize the word I just made up or sentimentalize what we mean by willing. Mm -hmm. Um, You see this even when people talk about love, we we have no clue what we mean when we talk about love. And and it's very hard for us to kind of understand how it is that like, I can love burritos, but also my children, you know, how does that all work? I mean, the problem starts to be that people think of the moral life and how the soul works um, as static, Uh, instead of the the real dynamic root about how our will works, our loves and things like this. It's not like I make a list, check it twice, and then um, execute a decision like a computer. Uh, The world is uh, awash in things that, I mean, it's like gravity, but in a much more spiritual and, and compelling idea, right? The Christian idea is that the world drawn by love, as Dante says, Um, even when sin enters the world is sort of drawn by improper love. uh, So it's not that, and even hatred, right, is is mutated love. It's desire. These things attract us. We attract other things. And then the question starts to be, like you said, with intention, what is the object in which I'm going to dynamically go after? What am I going to follow? And so when we start saying that prayer is an act of the will, instead of just sort of a thought process or a a sentiment, what people have to to sort of wrap their minds around, and I realize how ironic that is after all I just said, is we have to get to the point where we understand that even prayer is, look, if you're moved by all these terrible things that happen, why wouldn't you think that the person to go to is God? And then we get into all of the sort of scriptural uh, images of something like, Jacob wrestling with the angel, right? Mm-hmm. That what we're asking is, God, why these people? Why at this time? Why wasn't something different? And prayer, even if it's going to be difficult or hard, that's, not, that's sort of like another vein uh, throughout this article, is saying, I'm not acting like prayer always works or you don't have enough faith if you don't get what you want. You need to be prepared to be scared. Uh, you need to be prepared to, to be surprised, not get what you want. But it's not just passive thinking. It really is a willingness to intend to bear our souls before God.
0: And I think that part of this is that we, we've we become really um, reactionary creatures. We're al- almost letting go of our rationality and the rational soul and just responding by instinct. And so we, we take uh, a moment of affection and feeling and and pleasure and we say, oh, that's love. And we take a moment of a deep emotional response to a tragedy, and we say, "Oh, well, that's prayer," and we don't take the time to really engage the will and to exercise the will and say, "Okay, out of this affection, now I'm going to actually do something for the good of that person. Now that they, we've expressed this tragedy, I'm going to to take and exert mental energy and and the energy of my will toward uh, offering this tragedy to God and moving, uh, allowing myself to be God's response." Uh, moving to help correct whatever that thing is. We're going to continue this conversation right after the break with Bo Bonner about how in this season of Easter, as an Easter people who are living on this side of the resurrection, how do we pray well? How do we live in our society in such a way that as Christians, we make a difference in the lives of those who are around us through that relationship with God, through that prayer, There's much more to come right after this. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at Outside the Walls. We'll be right back. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Bo Bonner, who is the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College in Des Moines, Iowa, the Director of the Zeta Institute, and most importantly, the co-host of The Uncommon Good with Bud Marr over on Iowa Catholic Radio and also airing on Oklahoma Catholic Radio. But, uh, Bo, thanks for joining us again today
1: of course thanks for asking me back and uh, to talk about such a, a, a timely topic i appreciate it
0: you know you say timely topic but as you mentioned in the last segment this is such a perpetual issue uh that because it is our typical response to um to prayer or rather to tragedy oh well you have my thoughts and my prayers and then the question is what does it look like after that what what is it what does it look like after we say you have my thoughts and prayers what does that prayer in your life specifically look like and that of course is the issue today and the reason that i think it's so important right now we're here in the octave of easter tomorrow is divine mercy sunday uh, at at the crucifixion when cross when christ died on the cross the veil in the temple was torn in two which gave us this picture of okay now you're able to approach the throne of grace the 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 the, where the Holy of Holies is, where the, the throne of cherubim sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, come into that place and, mm-hmm. and offer that prayer. And, and, of course, thinking about that, thinking about the, the veil of the temple being torn, what did people know happened there? Well, the high priest went in and did an action. He made a sacrifice before the throne of God in order to intercede for the people. There was an action that that carried with it risk and danger because God, as C.S. Lewis so beautifully put it in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, God is good, but he's not safe, right? Right. God, God is powerful and God can do what God will do. And if I am not disposed to see him properly, that could end poorly for me if I was the high priest. So. The veil of the temple has been torn open such that Paul says that now we boldly can approach the throne of grace to obtain mercy in the hour of need. And what more time is there a need for that divine mercy than in the midst of a tragedy?
1: I think that, I mean, first of all, that's beautiful how you put every single part of that. What what it, what it comes to mind is when we're asking in prayer— when we forget that it's an act, we forget that prayer can be bold. People will say, pray boldly. And in the United States, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, prosperity gospel that starts to leak into that idea, right? right. So like, don't just ask for 50 bucks, ask for 5 million. And of course, that's not what we mean in any way. What we what we mean is if God is bold enough to say, I will use death to conquer death, if if God is bold enough to become man, die and be raised from the grave where are we with our boldness i'm stealing this from someone who just emailed this to me but we we're talking about some other thing that was bothering us And we, he, uh, he said take heart from the message of the bees in notre dame's uh roof right because what he's getting at this right is after notre dame cathedral's roof mostly burned away uh people go up there and they they had kept bees nests up there and then, boom, here are all the bees coming out. Uh, and, you know, this happening Monday of Easter week, and then we think about, you know, the Easter candle and like what the Exultet says about the bees' wax. You know, that's what we're saying when we pray. It's not just nice thoughts and prayers are like, oh, man, I feel kind of bummed for you. What we want to say is, I pray to the God that is raised from the dead. I pray something like the bees in the cathedral roof after it bur- burns down. That's That's the bold act that I'm claiming or even something like horrible with the Sri Lankan bombings. You know, they just put out today that they had a a funeral mass for a lot of the children that died. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and we want to boldly claim like those, are our, our saints. In fact, they, all of our prayers pale in comparison to the prayers that they now pray for us. And and that to me might be part of it is, is, we're all worried that these people are kind of nagging on us about thoughts and prayers. I think that we should be saying stuff bold enough that they think we're crazy because that, that, that's right. The, the Easter is the foolishness of God. And how much are we not willing to be fools for God with our active prayer? No, we sit back and it's, it's sentiments, it's thoughts. And I, a lot of that sort of things that I, that, that goes into this article that I wrote.
0: We're talking today with Bo Bonner, who recently wrote a piece on Ethicapolitica.com asking, are we bad at prayer? There's also this idea that once I have prayed, once I have uh, uttered the words before God, I'm done. Right. And and yet this is not what what prayer is. And so uh, as you were as I was reading through this article and and listening to some of your thoughts about this, the the thought that came to my mind was the picture of Esther in the old testament, who's faced Mm. with a tragedy where, uh, her people are going to be decimated. And somehow, some way against her will, she's ended up the wife of the King. Uh, and so now she finds out her people are going to be destroyed. And, and she is, you know, it's like, Oh, well yeah, she's super powerful. She's the wife of the King. And yet don't forget that the beginning of the story started out with the King killing his wife. Right. So (laughs) it's not like she's in a, a place of, of Supreme power. She, she knows that if she goes against the king, like the last wife did, uh, that that she'll find the same fate as the last wife. And so here she has, uh, really her uncle kind of brings her to it, a responsibility in prayer to risk everything. And so she does that. She, she, she does it wisely. She begins to think about how can I best uh, approach this king in such a way that this request gets heard, and she does this by uh, spending a, a really a wise amount of time in making preparation, in finding favor, and then in bringing that request in a very specific way, and in in, in in a very active way, putting herself in in danger, making a sacrifice, and because of that intercession, now her people are saved, and I think maybe we spend too much time thinking that prayer is simply uttering the words before God and not enough time realizing that to be an intercessor means to go between and to put our lives on the line and to put uh, our, our put our money where our mouth is, as it were in making a change in the situation. And so that prayer is not only uttering, but it's also activating the will and begin to move in such a way that we can bring about a positive change with the help of God. But God, yeah. is, God is not just going to miraculously make things change if we, his body, don't move in that way as well.
1: Right. And, you know, the the sort of, it's not like, it's not the most cliche of cliches, but I've heard it enough uh, that it can be approached in that territory. It's like, be willing to be the answer to your prayer. Um, but really, that's a, a sort of, um, it's really a daring way to say, you know, your right to go to God asking him what's going on, you know, what's your plan. And we think about you know everything. If you, you, you go to any of the triduum services that we just heard, uh, and you go, imagine being Peter, imagine being John, imagine being Mary and without sinning, they could all go, how does this work? H- how is this part of, of everything? And then it's like you said, um, thinking about how I can be that being willing to be molded into the answer that that is. And then when God comes with his answer, um, a, it's always, it always outstrips our ability to be, um, strategic, but then being willing to, to be a part of what's going on. And I, I think to the exaltet the Exultet's one of my favorite songs uh, that has ever existed. So it, it always gets me every year. Um, that happy moment where it says, "To ransom a slave, you gave up your son," mm-hmm. and you think, "So here's this the problem of all problems, right? We're all slaves to sin and death, um, an impenetrable problem." And then God's answer is something no one could imagine—that He Himself would send His Son to die for us. Uh, oh, happy fault! And, and I, I think, with you're talking about Esther, I think about all of these things uh these disasters, our prayers really have to be grounded in the Felix culpa. Not like oh happy fault, like man, isn't it great Adam sinned? So things like happen to happen. Uh, shucks, what a great life. Right. Uh no, that we go, God is working through even this this fault, this horrible thing. Some strange way, God will make it a Felix culpa. We don't know what that looks like, but if we're going to just flatten it out with sort of trite sentimentality, we won't get to the depth of the happy fault. And I, since we don't think that way, we don't pray that way.
0: I think we also have to be careful because it's so easy to say in those situations when nothing is really uh, a good thing to say. I mean, silence is perfectly acceptable. And it's so easy to say, oh, well, you know, I know that God's going to make something good out of this. And, and, and let that be the sentimentality rather than really wrestling with it and saying, God, I, I, all I see is terror. All I see is, is suffering and death and pain. Uh, and so I offer all of that to you, knowing that you're the only one who can make anything good out of this.
1: Oh, I think that's a good, another favorite part of you, you get reminded every year is uh, the women go to the tomb and it's empty and they see the angels there who have great news for him. And they're just terrified. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we're going to hear the great news, but be prepared to be terrified by the great news. And and I think sometimes we miss that too.
0: Well, and and that great news required something of them now. You know, go make a fool of yourself. Go and tell the disciples, right?
1: Right. And uh, when it comes to St. Peter and John, it's like, uh, go get in a a track meet, see who wins. Uh, No, I'm kidding. But yes, you're exactly right. Like, are we willing to, uh, once our prayer gets answered, not go like chalk that up, you know, like it's some checklist. Yeah, oh, but grocery list. I prayed for these things. It's got done. Good. We don't need to pray anymore. Um, no, how is that prayer now enfolding uh, up in uh, God's will? You know, we, we talk about our will in prayer, um, but prayer is the meeting of two wills our will and the will of God.
0: And, and do we take the time to persevere in prayer, to say, this is something I'm going to attach my will to and I'm going to pray? until I see an answer and it could be that you're not going to see an answer for a very long time are you still willing to put your heart and your prayer into that intercession to asking God and, and begging God and beseeching God to make uh, to make something beautiful out of that to to find the redemption and the restoration of that tragic situation
1: yeah th- this is another hard part to sort of imagine because like you said so much about praying well can be misunderstood Uh, But the goal in prayer, right, when you pray really well, it's not that you prayed great or fervently or hard or fast or intelligently. When you pray well, you've prayed simply. The best prayers are simple, right? They're not composite. They're not made of many parts. The purity of heart, this is Kierkegaard, but it makes sense. Purity of heart is to will one thing. So the best prayers are simple. And it's funny because the simple prayers of, of this nun or that grandma or this old farmer or this child confounds the reckoning of the world because it looks like what we need to do is like really come up with a great prayer, but the simplicity of prayer will look like foolishness, right? Oh, they're superstitious. But the difference between superstition and this simple prayer, superstition thinks it's some sort of divine exchange, but the simplicity of prayer is like you said, to persevere in the belief that if I put this before God, he can answer.
0: We're talking with Bo Bonner about praying well. He's got a piece over on Ethica Politica. We'll put a link to that up on our social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's much more to this conversation as we look at what it means to pray well. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We've been talking today with Bob Bonner about a piece he wrote for EthicaPolitica.com, wherein he asks, are we bad at prayer? And so we examined a fundamental misunderstanding that we often have in our society with what prayer even is and how we engage in it. If you missed any part of the episode or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. It's archived, along with all our other episodes, over at OutsideTheWalls.com. As always, there's more to my conversation with Bo that's available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. While you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com, click that link in the top right-hand corner that says Support the Show Patreon. Follow that link all the way until it gets to the page. And uh, take a look at the different tiers that are available For as little as $5 a month, our supporters get weekly, uh, weekly extra segments with our guests. A couple extra questions, a deeper dive into the topic, probably about 8 to 15 minutes, depending on the conversation, depending on the week, uh, available to you if you join that Patreon community. Go take a look and see about joining their numbers. Let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture this week comes from the book of Acts, chapter 3. Peter and John were going up to the temple area for the three o'clock hour of prayer. And a man crippled from birth was carried and placed at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate every day to beg for alms from the people who entered the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. But Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. He paid attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I have neither silver nor gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, rise and walk. Then Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles grew strong. He leapt up, stood, and walked around, and went into the temple with them, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the one who used to sit begging at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with amazement and astonishment at what had happened to him. That reading comes from the book of Acts, and there are a number of things that I want to point out with this today, but first and foremost among them is that Peter and John, first of all, they spent three years walking with Christ. They were his disciples. This isn't something that just sprang out of nowhere. They were given authority by him and sent out as apostles to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded them. So, I mean, these, these are not just ordinary These are the apostles who have walked with Christ. But more than that, here they are going up to the temple area for the three o'clock hour of prayer. They're going there for a purpose. They're going to pray. And in that prayer and in that relationship that they have with Christ and through the Holy Spirit that has been given to them, uh, they're walking in this relationship, listening for the voice of God. And here's a person sitting at the gate and um, and begging for alms as he does. And Peter and John have walked by him countless times because look at that verse. It says uh, he was there at the beautiful gate every day to beg for alms from the people who entered the temple. And so Peter and John have been to the temple before. They have seen this person many times before. And today something happened. The Holy Spirit said something as they were going in to pray that they caught and were able because of that relationship and their confidence and the ability of, you know, they walked with Christ. They'd seen Christ perform miracles. They now had been given the same spirit that had been dwelling in Christ uh, at Pentecost. They received that. And so there's something in that on this day that the Holy spirit prompts them and they say, okay, they have the confidence that God can do what, what he says They have the confidence that they're hearing from the Holy Spirit and they change their plans. They were just going to go and pray and they say, okay, here is the intercession that we've been asked to do today. And they turn to the hymn and they look him in the eye. You know, a lot of times we, we see someone begging by the side of the road and we want to turn our eyes away. We want to look and avert our eyes and act busy, change the radio station, do something along those lines, anything to avoid, looking into the eyes of this other person. Uh, but Peter and John, it says, looked intently at him. Peter looked at him intently, as did John, and then called to him to say, look at us. They got the attention. They, they locked eyes. And there was this communication going on uh, at a very, started out at a surface level, but went to a very deep level. He says, I, I don't have anything to give you except this, rise and walk. And now we have uh, an an encounter where this person didn't have to put trust in that. They didn't have to agree to step out in faith and to be uh, ridiculed or mocked or ashamed. I mean, I'm sure that this person has endured any kind of barrage of insults in the past. And yet something in this encounter, he trusts. He chooses to trust and he reaches out and takes the hand and stands. And I think that one, probably one of the most beautiful things is what follows. Not the, not the moment of confidence, not the moment of uh, declaration, not even the moment of him standing and, and the healing occurring and him being strengthened for him uh, to rise and walk and, and jump. But it says this, he leapt up and stood and walked around and went into the temple with them walking and jumping and praising God. You see, in their obedience to the voice of the Spirit, he, he could have gone home, he could have announced it to everyone, he could have done anything, but what he wanted, I think, more than anything else, was to go into the temple, to be in the house of God. And he'd been prevented because of, of his condition. He'd been right there at the gate, as close as he could be, but he wanted to go in. And I think that this is something that prayer, really strong, fervent prayer does. Yes, it can bring healing, absolutely. But more than that, it invites someone else into that same relationship of prayer. It invites them into intimacy with God, whether they realize it or not. Our prayer, when it is powerful and effective makes the way for someone else to enter into that same relationship with God. Our reading from Church History Today comes from a dialogue on divine providence by St. Catherine of Siena. Eternal God, eternal Trinity, you have made the blood of Christ so precious through his sharing in your divine nature. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find. The more I find, the more I search for you. But I can never be satisfied. What I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an even greater hunger, and I grow more famished for your light. I desire above all to see you, the true light, as you really are. I have tasted and seen the depth of your mystery and the beauty of your creation, with the light of my understanding. I have clothed myself with your likeness, and I have seen what I shall be. Eternal Father, you have given me a share in your power and the wisdom that Christ claims as his own, and your Holy Spirit has given me the desire to love you. You are my creator, eternal Trinity, and I am your creature. You have made of me a new creation in the blood of your Son, And I know that you are moved with love at the beauty of your creation, for you have enlightened me. Eternal Trinity, Godhead, mystery as deep as the sea, you could give me no greater gift than the gift of yourself. For you are a fire ever burning and never consumed, which itself consumes all the selfish love that fills my being. Yes, you are a fire that takes away the coldness, illuminates the mind with its light, and causes me to know your truth. By this light, reflected as it were in a mirror, I recognize that you are the highest good, one we can neither comprehend nor fathom. And I know that you are beauty and wisdom itself, the food of angels. You gave yourself to man in the fire of your love. You are the garment which covers our nakedness, and in our hunger, You are a satisfying food, for you are sweetness, and in you there is no taste of bitterness, O triune God. That reading comes from the Dialogue on Divine Providence by St. Catherine of Siena. In that reading, we get just uh, the, the smallest taste of what it is to be in an intimate relationship with God of of what that relationship entails, more than just affection or or emotion. It's this being conformed into his will and being, as we've talked about here before, being made a sharer in his divine nature, right? Now, all of a sudden, out of this love relationship, we are the recipients of God's nature, of his character. He pours out on his beloved the the Holy Spirit, and through that, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We become like him because we have received him. We become like him because he has placed himself in our hearts and dwells with us. That's all the time we have this week. I pray that your week is fruitful. I pray that you would experience in a very real and profound way the divine mercy of God. Today's show is brought to you by Rodney Moxley. And all of those who support the show through Patreon, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Support the Show link and join their numbers. Get some extra content. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.